You're listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. For more information, please visit our website at everynationgta.org. But one of the things, um, I used to be quite avid runner, and now I run a little bit. I've uh, run the Chicago Marathon four times. I've done a lot of uh, running in my day. And someone once asked me, you know, when, how did you get into running? Well, I got to tell you a really embarrassing story in order to do that. So, I'm from Vancouver Island, you know, a French Métis boy, you know, from, you know, not too classy guy, we're blue collar people on the island. And um, uh, I went to UBC, and there was um, a church planting team that came from the Kitchener Waterloo area. Ten people uh, went across the country and started this campus church. And they were the ones who really impacted me. And so through that, I got to know Sheila. She was on that team. She's from Kitchener. So, um, and then uh, I got to know her. And it was time uh, to meet her mom and dad because uh, we were going to get married. And uh, because we didn't have much money, and like I said, you know, blue-collar people, we decided that they would just come early for the wedding, and I'd meet her parents the first time, what, a week or 10 days, two weeks before the wedding. So it was time to pick them up at the airport, Vancouver Airport, and it's a big airport, and it's a huge uh, parking lot. And so we parked there, and we went in, and we got Milton Jean, and uh, we had an extra rental car, and so Sheila had the rental car, and I had the other car. And so, I, you know, to make a good impression, the dad meeting them the first time, uh, he thought, she thought it would be a good idea if I just went, you know, home with milk. One problem, I get to this massive parking lot, and I'm so nervous, I can't remember where the car is. <laughs> and so I'm going, I think it's over here, and then I, I think it's over here. And then finally I said, milk. I'll tell you what, just stand here at this post, and I'll just run up and down the aisles and click the you know clicker until I find the car, and I'll come around and pick. And so I was running up and down the aisles of this huge airport till finally I found the car. And that is not an apocryphal story. That is actually a true story of how I became such a great uh, runner. But... <laughs> but in those days, uh, my life was quite simple. I didn't know really a lot about God. Um, but things progressed. Things changed in my life, especially when that church planting team from Kitchener and Waterloo came to our campus. And, and I really had a new understanding of what it really meant uh, to be a part of Jesus Christ and to be a part of his family and to follow him with all my heart. And thinking back to those days, I couldn't help but think with all the Christmas carols in the malls and, you know, the gift giving and just the cultural part of Christianity, how many other people might be like me? You know, we could talk about Christmas, you know, being a, a gift worth waiting for, a gift worth giving, a gift worth receiving. But reflecting back, I really feel like it's really, really important that we don't just go through the motions of Christmas again, but we understand that Jesus and Christmas is actually a gift worth really understanding. And that's what I titled my thoughts uh, this morning on Christmas Eve, Understanding the Gift of Christmas. Jesus said that uh, he came to be a ransom for many. Um, and when we think of understanding Christmas, I want to talk about four things that we need to understand 
First of all, we have to understand that Jesus came to be a ransom. Now, there's lots of biblical verses that have this concept, but in the modern world, when you and I think of ransom, what we think of is someone's being kidnapped, right? And you've got to pay the ransom to get the person back. Well, the original hearers in the ancient world, that's not what they, they, they weren't worried about, you know, the mob kidnapping one person. That wasn't it. Ransom had a very different meaning in, in ancient days. When countries went out for war, and the country that, the army that lost, there was no such thing as a prisoner of war camp. What happened is you either died in the battle, or if you uh, were part of the losing country, all those soldiers and all those people became slaves. They all became slaves. Every one of them. They lost their possessions, they lost their status, they lost everything and became slaves. And the only way that they could get out of that slavery is if someone would come and pay an enormous price to free them from their slavery. And so it's a picture of why did Jesus come? He came to pay a ransom uh, because we are the ones who are held captive. 2 Timothy 2.26 says that, we're actually held captive to do the enemy's will. We can't even do what we really want to do, let alone follow God's will. Why? Because there's a captivity. There's a slavery that we have to understand all of humankind are in. Secondly, I think a lot of people may have heard, well, Jesus, you know, he came to give forgiveness, right? And you might think, well... You know, God's a big God. You know, why can't he just say, I forgive you? Why, why, does he, why does Jesus have to come? Why does he have to come into the world? Why does he have to, you know, suffer and die on the cross for sin? Can't God just say, you know, I forgive you? Forgiveness is more complicated than that. Um, across the street, there's a parking garage. And maybe just say, for instance, um, you've saved up for a new car. And you've got your first car and you park it across the street in the undergrad garage. Someone might be saying, that's me, I did that. <laughs> no, but, and say that you go to pick up your car across the street and you see a young person with a baseball bat absolutely just hammering your car, smashing the windshield, the doors, the hood, the lights and everything. And so you call security, you call the police and they catch them, they grab them in the act of destroying your car and the young man says oh, I'm so sorry please forgive me please forgive me I'm so sorry and and the police officer says you know why don't you let it go you know it's Christmas it's Christmas Eve you know why don't you just uh, let him you know let him go free uh, just forgive him I think you're you can see the problem with that kind of forgiveness can't you it doesn't make the car suddenly uh, all the dents go out and that you see forgiveness Whenever forgiveness is offered, someone always has to pay a debt. There's always a residual debt to, in order to receive uh, forgiveness. Every wrong ever committed has a, has a cost, and there's damage done. See, we've damaged, we've messed up the world, we've messed up the environment, we've messed up our own lives, and yes, there can be forgiveness, but in order for God's justice to also be appeased, just like you can see that there's damage left in the car, someone had to absorb that damage. And for God the Father to forgive, the damage was laid 
upon Jesus, and he paid for it. Another thing we have to understand about the gift of Christmas is we have to understand sacrifice. You know, Jesus didn't just come here to show his love, although he did. Um, you, you might think, well, you know, he died on the cross to show how much he loved us, but that doesn't make any sense. Um, I'm a real fan of a pastor called Tim Keller and in New York, and I love this illustration that he brings out. He said, if I'm walking down with one of my congregants, and, uh, and, and, the, and the pastor looks at one of his members and says, I just want to show you how much I love you, and jumps into the Hudson River and drowns. Does that, does that make sense? Like, like, does that, you say, I think something's wrong with the pastor here. Um, however, what if the person in the church slipped into the Hudson River and was drowning, and the pastor dives in, saves them from the icy waters, dies in the process to save the other person. Now we say, that was heroic. That made sense. See, there is no sacrifice if there is no objective peril. Let me say that again. There's no sacrifice needed if there's no objective peril. And one of the things that I've been praying for, even this Christmas, for, and even in this service and for you and for me, is that we will have a newfound awareness of what that peril that we actually are in. Because oftentimes we're not even aware of the peril that we're in. Um, in my life, the reason I went to UBC, the reason I went there is I wanted to upgrade my education, uh, being from you know, my mom's side of the family, being a very poor Métis family on Vancouver Island, um, heard a lot of stories of black and things. We were low, kind of lower middle class. We, we always had food and things. But just hearing the stories of my mom going Christmas after Christmas, like literally not having a Christmas meal unless a charity organization brought it to them, uh, I was like, I don't want that kind of life. I want to make sure that I make a life that's way better than that. And so I began to really prepare myself to chase a dream of basically financial enrichment, of you know making sure that I would never have a life like that, and working hard and having different jobs and to make sure that I would have money. I remember as a teenager, by the time I went to university, I'd already saved, and I'd worked enough to save to buy my own car, pay for my university, first year education, tuition, and housing. There was just something in me that said, I'm not going to have that. But one of the things I realized is that dream was based not out of any trust in God, not about any identity in him. It was really a problem. Because what if my life wasn't supposed to be about that? What if I'm chasing a dream, but it's a false dream? A dream that really isn't that God has. And so when we think of sacrifice, this city, Toronto, can suck so many people into a false dream. It can all of a sudden say, hey, you know, and I'm not against education. We wouldn't be meeting on a university campus if I was. We're not against uh, God blessing people. But it's not about your individual dream. It's about God's dream that he has for your life. He has a dream for your life. 
And it may not be the one that you have been chasing. And so as you understand sacrifice, you have to understand that there are different kinds of perils that can be facing you even today. Final one, why did Jesus come understanding Christmas? We have to understand his lordship. There's something paradoxical paradoxical about Jesus. Um, for those of you who know your Bible a little bit, we're going to you know, skip forward and end of March. I think this year is Easter. But when Jesus came into Jerusalem and they wanted to, the people wanted to crown him king, he didn't ride in on a horse, a big horse like a king normally would. What happened was he said, hey, go get a little donkey. And there's something just so paradoxical about Jesus. It's like, are you a humble, suffering servant or are you a mighty king? And at Christmas, you know, we have prophecies from Isaiah about the government shall be uh, on his shoulder and the increase of this government will never end. And you see these amazing, messianic, powerful scriptures. But then you also see a baby in a manger. Which is it? Well, it's both. It's both. He's a suffering servant. And he is a mighty king. And I think we need to wake up that he is a suffering servant, but he's also a king. I was thinking of how in my own life um, I was lulled away to the potential dream that God had actually for my life. Like I said, I grew up on the west coast of Canada, and when I was a teenager, I took something hun called hunter training, uh, because on the west coast, everybody hunts and fish. At least they did when I, when I was young. It was just standard procedure to hunt and fish. And so as, as a boy, you would take this thing called hunter training, and, and I think I've got a picture of the force that, this is the type of force that I grew up in. Our little town was in one of Canada's, probably Canada's greatest uh, rainforest. But when you take hunter training, what they tell you is that because it's damp and wet, there's something called hypothermia. You might have heard of that before. That could sit in, set in. What hypothermia is, it's when your body temperature begins to cool. And, and one of the first things that goes is your cognitive ability. You don't really understand uh, what's going on. And so in hunter training, what they teach you is you're out in the bush. First of all, don't go alone. But if you happen to be alone, it's very important if you're wet and cold, the very first thing you need to do is get dry and warm. Uh, because every winter uh, in British Columbia, there will be campers, there will be hikers, there will be, and they'll find them, unfortunately, past, dead. And they will find that they had warm clothes, a tent, and matches, they could have built themselves a fire. But what happened is they waited too long. And the cold began to set in, and their reasoning powers began to diminish, and they weren't thinking right. And I got thinking about that and how there's a spiritual hyperthermia that can set into all of our lives where we're just not aware of spiritual realities anymore. We are not aware of the peril, and we're not aware of, of our lives going in a direction that wouldn't be uh, God's best uh, for us. And how I got woken up, I'll give you a little bit of my testimonies, uh, that church planting team that came from uh, this area in Ontario out to Vancouver, 
one night there was a pastor, one of the co-founders of our movement. He was, he was an evangelist at the time. And I can remember he speaking to the students. I was there. And I don't remember the sermon at all, but I remember one verse that he shared that really convicted me. And it was James 4.4, 4, and it says, You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Anyone who desires to be a friend of the world has made himself an enemy of God. And through that verse, the Holy Spirit convicted me, and I thought I was being a good guy by then. I mean, I you know, went to a Christian club once in a while even and you know, offered you know, my little tip to God. And I was convicted that basically I felt like God was saying to me, Bert, now's your time. I'll take all of you or I'll take none of you. And he revealed to me his kingship, his lordship. And at that point, I realized, okay, Lord, I understand. You're not just a baby in a manger. You're a mighty king. And you're demanding that I bow my knee to your lordship and live for you the rest of my life. And that night, or actually it was the next day, I slept on it a while. <laughs> and then the next day, I made my decision to say, Jesus, you're not just savior. You're the Lord of my life. You're the Lord of my life. And uh, later on, how that worked out is a few years later, I, after UBC, I trained as an optician, had a good job. And I can remember when the Lord said, it's time for you to quit that career and to follow me into full-time ministry. And to move to Calgary, to the University of Calgary, and start a church among the students. And I can remember by that time, I had actually... Um, one favor with Sheila's dad from that running incident. He was actually pretty proud of me by then. I mean, he didn't like me at first. So, but by this point, I mean, you can imagine that introduction, but by this point, it's like he's actually, wow, but it's a good guy. He's a good provider this. And I can remember, uh, and I was quitting his job to go into the ministry and he's going to go work among students in Calgary. And all of a sudden, all that favor that I'd built up went away. <laughs> I might as well be running up and down the uh, parking lot again. But do you know what? I was able to endure that shame or endure that. Why? Because of those years before when God said, you made me your Lord. And to be honest, that decision stuck. And I was able to, with God's grace, continue on through all these through all these years. You know, was it easy to do things like that? It's totally easy. I mean, we've done all that. For those of you who know, who are part of this church, you know a lot of stories where God has directed Sheila and I to sell everything, move here and move there and do those things. Um, it's not easy. But when Christ is Lord, when Christ is Lord, then you do it. And Today, as we conclude, I've been praying for everyone in this room. I've been praying for me. I've been praying for us that this Christmas, 2023, that we'll have a new understanding of who Jesus is to us. For some of you here, a lot of what I'm sharing is like brand new. Like you, you don't like... You thought just Christianity is you go to church, you know, on weekends and things. No, there's way more to it than that. Yeah, you can have cultural Christianity, 
But to really understand who Jesus is, it means that you must understand he is the one who forgives. He is the one who saves from peril. But also he is the one who asks us not to only receive forgiveness, but to make him the Lord and follow him the rest of your life. So some of you might say, by the Holy Spirit, you get it. You can't just explain this. The Holy Spirit has to impart it into our hearts. Some of you, um, you're ready to do that for the very first time. Some of you here, as you're speaking, you feel like the Lord's saying, you know what? I used to have that radical sense of following Jesus. And for whatever reason, there's a lot of other things that sort of have crept in. And I can honestly see in my heart that I'm not really there right now, but this Christmas, I want to come back. I want to come back to that place this Christmas. And so, because I've been praying all week, two weeks about this, I felt like I'd like to do this. I want to pray for you, but I don't know sort of where people are at. So if you're in the first category, say, look, I've never really uh, made a decision to follow Jesus as Lord, and you want me to pray for you, I need to know who you are, so you need to stand up. Is there anyone in that place right now? This won't be your last chance, but if it's if, if it's today's the day that you want to do that, how many of you this Christmas, Holy Spirit speaking into your heart, saying, Jesus, it's time for me to come back to that radical decision that I once made. And I've kind of been straying off that decision. You say, this Christmas... I want Pastor Bert to pray for me because I'm, I'm coming back to that place. If that's you, can you stand up so I can pray for you? Is there anyone in that camp? Awesome. Anyone else? Awesome. Awesome. This is great. This is great. Lord, you see um, these brothers and sisters who are standing and Lord, they want to make this a real special Christmas. Lord, in the sense that they are just admitting in their own heart that they've strayed a bit from you, but they want to be back. They want to be, they want everything that you have for them. They want to follow you with all of their hearts. So I just bless this decision right now. I thank you, Lord, for giving them strength and courage to continue to follow down the road of chasing after you with their whole hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. Thanks for joining us. For more information, visit our website at everynationgta.org.